Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to Basketball Conference, the ACC football podcast. My name is Joey Weaver. Mike McDaniel still on paternity leave. Send him good vibes and all the other things that you want to send him on Twitter. Uh, I once again, I am not alone tonight. I am joined once again by our illustrious, our favorite guests. Hi, Cam Underwood. Uh, our favorite guest on the podcast, Mr. Dan Rubin joins the show once again to talk about his Boston College Eagles. Dan, welcome back. How have you been, man? Good to see you. Good to see you again. You know, I'm I'm sad that Mike's not here because I was hoping for a for for just an hour long dad talk and venting <laughs> session for the three of us. Is, and but he'll he'll come back. We'll have we'll have dad podcast. The ACC basketball conference brings you, but dad's dad's say, live. When he comes back here in a couple of weeks, we need to get like his top ten dad moves so far. See what he's learned in the first uh, six weeks or so of of parenting. So, oh, this is this before we get started. This will be my thing. Dad hack for a guy and and if your voice sues the baby and you host a podcast it's a brilliant idea for me it was broadcasting uh four o'clock in the morning baby not sleeping i slapped on broadcast on the tv that had my voice dad hack baby was calmed down right away hearing my voice i didn't have to put in anything so how cold reach into the archive it's all about the podcast get him going baby will sleep like a bit will sleep like a baby for you that's what they say i i actually haven't tried that and I've, of course i've got the three-year-old i haven't even tried that with him before um mine seems to be more partial to like the killers and uh other like mid-90s like pop punk you know those kind of those kind of bands like some good charlotte and those kinds of things that's, 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 fair. that's his preference i guess they sound better than i do i don't know um for my daughter it was uh the first time that she came out because i guess they can hear in the womb and mm-hmm. like they listen to the music that you listen to mm-hmm. um we put meek mill on for her and it, she was <laughs> dancing in the cut in the in the yeah in the in the high chair and i don't know if i should be proud of that or not i'd like <laughs> to think that i should be but uh that's what we're rolling with uh dreams and nightmares a huge uh favorite of, of baby ruben so um, yeah, that's. I, I look forward to everyone who listens to this now immediately judging me. Though we have got, we have switched <laughs> because she is starting to develop language skills, and we uh, do not need her repeating rap song lyrics <laughs> at the dinner table. Uh, yeah, everything you hear here. If you got feedback on if this is appropriate parenting, send it over to Dan on Twitter. He's at Mike McDaniel SI. Uh, he would love to hear your your parenting tips. Yes, yes. Dan, on that note, uh, let, let's talk. Let's talk about Boston College here coming into twenty. 2022 uh it let's start with the coaching staff and and i want to keep talking jeff halfley and we've had this conversation a couple times i i mentioned to you before the show started i think about the the last couple of years under jeff halfley and of course starting with the covid year and then going into last year and coming off of steve adazio thinking oh this is so much better this team looks better they're more put together they play a, a more cohesive style of offense they score more points like i'm enjoying watching them so much more this is way better 
And then, Dan, I go and look at his record through two years, and he is 12 and 11 overall and 7 and 11 in conference. And I'm just thinking, thinking to myself, how is it that this product is so much better on the field that's yielding basically all the same results? Do you get that sense at all in the fan base? Is there any unrest around that? No, there's there's no unrest around him whatsoever. I will say that the the one thing that I know that that Jeff Halfley has said, and and this is kind of where his his mentality at is that, that we have to win more games in the ACC. Um, you know, they they when he talks about the pressure of it and, and starting what happened of beating an SEC team last year, starting out four and zero, get hit with adversity, and you know they take up a little bit of, of pain there. So. He's not the type of guy who will sit back and say that six and six is a, or six and five was a good record. Six and six is a good record. He would say, you know, hey, I've done well, but now we have to take a step forward and, and figure out how to get to a step forward. No one's going to be content with a six win season. Um, I will say that the vibe around the program in his first two years is very different, which is a good feeling around the six wins. Um, there is no discontent with what he's been able to accomplish through the weird COVID year. And then into this past year, uh, given the adversity that the team faced and the proof behind that was actually when I went to um, the U.S. Open at, and, and that was up here in Massachusetts mm -hmm. a, a few weeks ago. Um, you know, you'd see Coach Halfley walking around or, or BC people walking around uh, coaches and other coaches and they, you'd see people saying and, and he was there and they, they'd shout out, hey, go Eagles. Adam, or they show out, you'd see people shouting, go Eagles at other coaches that you saw walking around who were there taking in the sites. Cause you know, it's the U S open. Of course you want to go to it. Mm -hmm. um, so to see that tells you that there is a vibe involved with Massachusetts, with people being excited about the program, with people being excited about what the potential is in the program um, into the future, even when the divisional alignment's gone, but at the same time, six and five, six and six, You'd like to get a little bit more out of it, even though you faced down the adversity that you faced down last year, losing mm -hmm. your quarterback, which yeah. I know we'll talk about. But, you know, you there is that goal that's constantly over your head, which is, let's see, finally, can this be the year to get over the hump, that seven, six, seven win hump and get to eight, nine wins in, in maybe a premier bowl game? I was going to say, I mean, and you talk about there, there's context here, right? Like, yes. The record says he's roughly a five five hundred coach, but as you mentioned last year, I mean, you play half the season without your starting quarterback, Phil Dracovic, who is one of the what three best quarterbacks in the conference, probably. Um, he goes out in the in the UMass game, misses half the season, and then when he comes back, the final four games, he didn't even look quite right. And so we'll we'll get into that here in a minute, but that's how it, it, it makes a little bit of sense that it's tougher to win games that way, you know, when you're starting a, a walk on instead of your, your prized blue chip transfer in that you know was the, kind of the face of your program. Um, so I, I, I tend to think that, you know, if, if we can assume he's healthy this year, there's a lot of reason for optimism that a couple of those games that you lose against ACC opponents, you know, maybe you're, you're in position to be a little bit more competitive with, uh, here this fall in 2022. I, I was going to ask you too, you know, the, one of the big changes, I guess, in the coaching staff going into this year was the departure of Frank Signetti Jr. He heads to Pittsburgh, uh, which I guess is home for him. Uh, so he, he'll be the OC for the Panthers here this year. Replacing him is John McNulty, who uh, is, is a guy who, similar to Halfley and uh, Tim Lukabu and everyone else on this staff, seemingly, has kind of gone back and forth between college and the NFL in his career. Uh, he did have some, some time at Rutgers in particular in the, in the 2000s, and then again more recently. Most recently, he was the tight ends coach at Notre Dame. 
I guess what was the what was the thinking on making this hire, Dan? Is there anything in particular that Halfley saw or was excited about in in bringing in McNulty to run the offense? He brought in he brought in a guy who he knew. Uh, they they coached together in Tampa Bay. They were in the same coaching coaching staff with Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, McNulty was the John McNulty was the quarterbacks coach. Uh, Jeff Halfley was coaching Darrell Revis and the DBs. Mm-hmm. Um, no, <laughs> not a big deal. Let me name drop in that he coached <laughs> Darrell Revis. Um, but I'm sure it's hard to co- coach a guy like that. <laughs> yeah, you know, just say Revis Island. Like, what was it? Deion Sanders used to say, "Let's let's scheme ten guys on defense." Just give me who I have to cover. Yeah. <laughs> um, there were there was a long process involved with getting John McNulty up. Because Halfley admitted, and he admitted this week at the ACC kickoff that he hadn't. He had focused too much on the defense. He he hadn't talked about his vision as an offense. He hadn't looked at it. He kind of let Frank Signetti almost be a head coach of the offense. And hmm. that worked out really well in some respects. And and you can never fault Frank for who is a great guy. Great interview. Fantastic music choice whenever they had to crank up the volume at uh, at practice. And he'd crank it up with his iPod like fantastic music choices by the way acdc the like all that I'm, mm-hmm. i was all a big frank fan uh <laughs> but he he went home i mean you can't really fault a guy for choosing to go back to to where he's from so within that it allowed halfway to kind of look ahead and say all right what's my vision what, what do i want to do this is not now what i came in and did so let me see what i can do he found that he had a vision he found that there were some similarities to what he did in the past what he wants to do in the future found McNulty, who McNulty was being the tight ends coach at Notre Dame said, okay, this, I can adapt to this. This is what I want to do. They shared visions. They have a couple of different things that are different. And now they're going to see where they can take the offense. I don't know that it's going to change too much given the personnel, given the pro style that, that Halfley kind of wanted to bring in from the very beginning. But at the same time, there's going to be new nuances. Anytime you have a new head coach, there's going to be different things that they do. And it, uh, it, it, it new coordinator rather. And, uh, and you even see it when you if you go through a number of coordinators over the same type of offense. I know that at the end there with, with the Steve Adazio area, they had a couple of different offensive coordinators mm-hmm. and you'd see different takes on it. So I'm really interested to see what he does, the nuances, the different things, the formations, alignments, how they get different guys in while also staying true to what's become a pass first offense. Well, and I was going to ask with with McNulty, I mean, Signetti was his offense involved. It was what I think is still safe in 2022 to call a pretty traditional pro-style offense. I mean, a good number of under-center sets and, uh, you know, some tight formations with, you know, tight ends, and then he would spread it out. And like you said, it was kind of pass first in a lot of cases. Um, is there any indication, I guess, of any of what McNulty's offense will look like or how it'll be different? I don't know. Not until we probably see it at practices or, or in scrimmages. And even then, they don't really show too much. When I watched at the spring game, they, they didn't really show anything. That was just having fun and hmm. it's a spring game. So there's a whole lot of meat to take off the bone there. But, um, you know, he, he he's a guy. He's I'm interested to see what happens. You can probably look back at 2006 to 2008. He was offensive coordinator at Rutgers and. You know, he came back to Rutgers in, at the end of the last decade and was part of that staff. So you can kind of look to it, but at the same time, maybe see some different staff, different guy or different personnel that he had. Uh, you know, if he had a guy in 2007, 2008 that was uh, a certain type of player, then you're able to use him. Uh, then, you know, versus what you get now. So we won't really know until those first couple of games, even how it's going to play out. And like I said, with the personnel that you have, I can't 
foresee too much changing, still using some of the RPOs, given Phil Dracovic's dual threat ability, mm-hmm. given the way the running backs are shaping up, where you have guys like, you know, Xavier Coleman and and the same personnel, Alex Sinkfield, they're all back. So anytime you have the same personnel, say Flowers as your receiver, like you're not going to all of a sudden then run the ball 35 times out of a out of a double tight end set, but you're also not going to line up in the shotgun with five five wide running the old hoop de you at the uh, at the fence. Yeah. Well, and and I I can't think it makes sense to try to run five wide air raid stuff when you're playing half your games in Boston in November, right? Like that that doesn't you know you need a run game. Like <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. It's beautiful up here. <laughs> November, let's see. So did we have snow? Uh, all I, all I know is this: my my daughter was born in April, and uh, the day we we took her to the to the pediatrician for the first time, it snowed in the middle of April, and that was a rarity. So <laughs> it can snow any time of year. It can be cold any time of year. It can also be ninety degrees any time of year. It's New England weather. None yep. of it makes sense. Yeah, I, I've been to Boston. I, I was supposed to go to the Red Sox game on the Fourth of July, of, you know, several years back, and ended up being on the fifth. But just I remember walking around outside and thinking, like, this is almost as bad as Houston. How, why do people live here? Like, this is so bad. <laughs> it's so hot in the summer. It's got it's cold as hell in the winter. Anyways, first first day that you get that nice sunshine. That is uh, is a Boston holiday. It's sunburn day. Special day. <laughs> special day. There you go. There you go. Let's talk about a couple of the losses that Boston College faces coming into the year. And, and it, it seems like there are a, a decent number of, of names that went into the transfer portal for the Eagles over the, the last 12 months. But a majority of them, maybe not huge, you know, huge playmakers necessarily. The ones that stuck out to me, I mean, Kobe White and C.J. Lewis, two of the main wide receivers. And then following that was Jelani Galloway and Ethan Williams it, is is there any concern, I guess, you know, about trying to replace those guys' production? I mean, that's that's a lot of loss to have all out of the receiver room. Um, any concern from you, Dan, around the the kind of the cluster loss there? Not really, and the reason for it is because at the end of last year, um, Jeff Halfley kind of talked about it when he signed his contract extension um, at the end of last year and into the into the end of the year with the future and. One of the things that I know that he talked about was that the team itself, when the NCAA brought in this, the brought back the roster maximum or the scholarship maximum, he knew there was going to be a really difficult conversation that took place with his players about the existing infrastructure on the team, which was you have 85. This is the exact quote. I just pulled it up. Here's what makes it really hard. We have 85 scholarships and we can't go above the 85. So when guys use the extra year, they didn't count toward the 85. But then once you get back to keep the count in, if they want to keep 15 guys who are on the roster, they have to fit within the 85, which means they have to recruit less. Mm -hmm. So there were a lot of difficult conversations that maybe you wanted to bring a guy back, but it was going to inhibit your ability to bring in recruits. And in those conversations, they were going to help guys find landing spots. They were going to help guys with their future and and really be open and honest about it. So when you see some of the names, and I think a lot of programs went through this. So I don't know that this is exclusive to BC where you had to sit down with your guys and say, look, I don't, I don't know that there's a spot for you in this roster. If you didn't make a lot of catches last year, you weren't really in there. I know Kobe White was dealing with an injury. Like maybe it's best for you to move on, find a new home, get another graduate degree or get a degree somewhere else and we'll help you find those spots. We'll get you in touch with the right coaches or the right part. I I don't know how that stuff works, but um, you know, we'll get you in touch with the right people or help guide you 
to get a good landing spot and at the same time continue your study so that it'll work out. And, and, and that was a big part of roster management for everyone that I think it was one of the things that no one really talked about when they did away with that 85 scholarship maximum and then just hard capped it at the mm-hmm. end of last year. It's it's one of those things with some of the scholarship math that like base case a few years ago, it's it can get a little bit wonky with the way that you kind of can gray shirt guys and you can get uh, early enrollees. And, and there's some things you can do to kind of fudge the numbers a little bit in your favor. There is a whole other layer of complexity that was added with with the whole COVID year, no eligibility costs, but there wasn't a scholarship limit, but those guys don't count against it. But other schools like we can only afford so many scholarships, like the whole thing was was pretty quickly a mess. So that's that's understandable where that can happen. And then, I mean, honestly, when this happens to a, to a couple of guys like this, potentially, I mean, there is a there. It, it sounds mean, but like there is a respect element to it of like, well, I understand you probably want to play and. Uh, and you know, enjoy enjoy the final years of football in college, you know that kind of thing. And so, in, enabling those guys to do that, uh, I don't think there's anything wrong with that necessarily. No, and I think the biggest thing there is honesty. I, I think if you if you sit down, like you always see it around cut down day uh, on on hard knocks when you see the guys sit down and they're like, "Look, this is the reality. This is what you are. This is what we're going to do with you." And then they have that conversation, or like you know, in baseball when they trade a guy and they're like, "Here's who we're trading you to. This is the traveling secretary. You have to get in touch with him." Yep. Here's his number. Like if you give it to them directly, they they're pretty mature about it. If you kind of hold back off of that and, and you're not, then that's where you run into problems. And one of the things that I feel with Boston College or that was one of the things was, look, this is a this is not a part of the job that, it, that any coach wanted. Like they just don't want to have to cut their guys. They don't have to look at them and say we have to move on and, and all this other stuff. Yep. But it's a hard conversation. And part of being the head coach when you sit in that chair is that you unfortunately have to be honest or, or you fortunately have to be honest because it's an unfortunate situation that you're in. I mean, you have to do. It. Yeah. Well, and you got how many other guys in the locker room to look out for as yep. well, you know, so it's exactly it's it's a tough thing, but it's, you know, unfortunately, the, the way the way that it goes and it kind of becomes necessary. Uh, Dan also leaving was Zion Johnson was a first round draft pick. Uh, obviously a really, really good player for, uh, for Boston College for a couple of years at guard. Anyone else that's departing that, that you think is a significant loss coming into this year? Yeah, pick an offensive lineman. <laughs> pick any of them? <laughs> pick any of them. Uh, ben Petrula went to the draft. Tyler Vrabel went to the draft. I don't think they got picked up. I think they were undrafted free agents. Alec Lindstrom went into the draft. Uh, he became – he's on the Cowboys. I think he was drafted at the end. And I was shocked that he wasn't picked. I mean, like – that to me was unconscionable that an NFL team passed on him. Not the pedigree, not even not even his his brother, but just how good he really was as even the way he graded out at the combine, which wasn't where Zion and Zion went the other direction. I, I before when when he was gone, when he was leaving, I'm like, is he really going to be a first round pick? Like you, you say that, and you're like, all right, no, that's my homerism kicking in. And then after he had the combine and he won the bench press while benching barefoot because he likes the feeling of benching barefoot. Um, <laughs> sure. Why which not? Was, sure. Why not? I asked him that question. I was like, why'd you do it barefoot? And he was like, I like, you know, I don't like slipping on the pads. If I'm barefoot, I can feel where the pad is. I'm like, <laughs> sure. Yeah, me too. Absolutely. Um, I, I run into that problem all the time. Uh, but he, he all of a sudden started rising up and you're like, all right, he's going to be a first round pick. And then he got picked by the Chargers, And I'm like, wow. Okay. Let's rock and roll. I like that. Mm-hmm. But, um, other than that, the entire offensive line's gone. And I think Christian Mahogany, they already announced, is out for the year. 
Um, so that's not great because now you're going into this year without a healthy offensive line um, or without a, any experience in the offensive line or however it is, or uh, I'm trying to remember, I, I vaguely remember seeing that. I don't, I don't know if he's out for the year. There's nothing official that was released. So don't quote me on that. Um, but you know, you're, it's, it's just tough. You're either way you're replacing four guys, you know? Yeah. Well, and, and again, you mentioned Chris Lindstrom and, and Alec, sorry, Alec Lindstrom, little brother of Chris Lindstrom, uh, who plays for my Falcons. And then, uh, Tyler Vrabel as well. I mean, those were guys that were really good for, you know, multiple years for Boston college. I, I was with you kind of surprised that they didn't get picked up some point in the draft. Um, you know, time will tell if they make it in the league, uh, I guess long-term, but that, that really does kind of point to some cause for concern for Boston College coming to this fall is having to turn over basically your whole offensive line after last year, and that's 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 a lot easier said than done, I, I would say, in in my experience. Yeah, and this is where now you're you're relying on your recruiting, and, and you do have a little bit of a of a buffer in there where you have a guy that is that's that's played who when Tyler Vrabel was out. Uh, pull up the name real quick because naturally I don't have that ready and handy and names always Jack Conley. Mm. Uh, Jack Conley has played. Uh, he's a redshirt junior. Drew Kendall was a highly touted recruit last year. He's coming in. He's a four-star guy. Ozzy Trapillo, four-star guy, three high three-star who, who's capable of playing. Finn Durston's been waiting forever to, to play. He's a fifth-year senior. Like he, It's his time to shine. Uh, you know, So you've got guys who you've brought in for this moment it's just a matter now of if they can gel and, 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 and protect the quarterback because that's, that's ultimately what, what they have to do and, and what you're hoping is that they've learned the system for their first two, three, four years, whatever it is, that they've learned how to play and, and now they just have to gel as a unit. I think there will be growing pains, but hopefully those happen and are ironed out uh, you know, during camp. Let's take a second to remind you about Section103.com. It is the Internet's premier location for buying all sorts of great Georgia Tech apparel. They have T-shirts, sweatshirts, hoodies, all sorts of great things. They've got things in the official Tech Gold. Things that are, for some reason, official Tech Gold things are very hard to find, even occasionally on the football team, as we found out this week. New uniforms might be the right color, might not be. You know what is the right color, though? It's at Section103.com. So go check out Section103 for all of your Georgia Tech apparel needs. Use promo code GOACC for 10% off your first order. I am wearing a Section 103 shirt as we speak. I love it. It is so comfortable. Uh, it is actually really warm in this room. The shirt's helping keep me cool, and it looks good, and I've got no complaints. Uh, and all thanks to Section103.com. Once again, use promo code GOACC for 10% off your first order. Uh, we've had a great partnership with them. They just hit their uh, their one-year anniversary. Congratulations to Steven and the gang for that, and thanks so much to them for their partnership. All right, go check it out. Once again, section103.com. Use promo code GOACC. And now, let's get back to it. Dan, returning production. The the big name, I think, here that, that makes it the biggest difference, and really there's there's two big names on offense. Uh, number one, Phil Dracovic. Number two, Zay Flowers. And, and Zay Flowers, I'll say to, to begin with, is a name I'm a little surprised came back. Uh, a guy who I think got you know some pretty universal praise, uh, and it was a guy that th- was thought to be someone who can get picked in the first two or three rounds of the draft. Uh, very, very talented, effective, uh, explosive wide receiver. He comes back. He is paired with Phil Dracovic, who you tell me. I, I'm assuming at this point he he's a little more healthy than even he was when we we saw him in November of last year. 
Yes, yes, he is. Uh, he is back and he is healthy. And as he goes, he's gonna he's gonna stir the drink for BC. Uh, him and Zay have some great chemistry, and mm-hmm. and it was really tough last year to watch what happened with Phil because no one saw it happen. So it's really tough, literally, to find the moment when he got hurt because there is no like there was no highlight. There was no he was helped off the field. There was n- nothing like wincing. Does it happened know? during the. Uh, <laughs> I think so. <laughs> I don't want to speak for him, but I think so. Um, last year during the UMass game, which was a weird game, I, I, I readily admit that was a game that that, that just it brought me bad vibes for a number of reasons out at UMass, uh, which is about an hour and 40 minutes or so, hour and two hours west of Boston, out in Western Massachusetts, the flagship school. Like That was their Super Bowl. That was their biggest game, and they were not set up to win that game. Like UMass... That way they were hosting BC. The place went bananas, and it was, but it was a weird game. Like it was a, it was a weird start, and you're like, "There's something about this I can't put my finger on that I just don't like the way this game looks." And BC went out and beat beat them handily, mm-hmm. beat them 45-28. But Phil just one play disappeared. Like he was down by the UMass goal line, and then he was out of the game. And mm-hmm. no one really knew what was going on. You know, it was it was very confusing. Like. He, couldn't really find them. It wasn't. It wasn't like it was like yeah, the ESPN like gurus scouring for everything because it was also on like a. It was it, the the broadcast was on a local production level, so it wasn't even like it was like that. Yet Pete Thamel was not in the uh, was not in the was not in the stadium that day. I don't think. Yeah. So it was really strange how it happened, and then. He was gone, and then he was gone. He was just vanished, like he was, you know, smoke bump, and that was the end of Phil Dracovic's season for the most part. He didn't come back until the Virginia Tech game, and when he came back, he was in a diminished capacity, which very clearly could not throw the ball that well. Mm-hmm. Um, so BC game planned around that. He ran the ball a lot more, a lot better. He was very good on the ground against Virginia Tech and Georgia Tech, um, running the uh, running through the derby with the uh, the basketball conference derby in those two weeks. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but it was it was strange watching those last two games, especially Wake. He he didn't look good against Florida State. He didn't look good against Wake. So he's back healthy, and if he could stay healthy. Um, which I think is he was hurt a couple of years ago in his first year in 2020 in the COVID year. Um, I think he he got hurt towards the end of the year, and then Dennis Grossell threw those 520 yards against Virginia. Um, you know, nowhere. it's going to be yeah. out. Of, it was amazing. <laughs> um, and De- Dennis Grossell, one of the smartest quarterbacks I think I've ever seen. He played phenomenal in some of those games. Uh, even last year, he played really well against Missouri. Played really well against Clemson. Had a little bit of an interception problem against Clemson, but otherwise played really well mm-hmm. um but you know the, those games just weren't there as things moved on and so getting phil back is a really big deal uh especially because zay came back and what zay said was look the, uh, we we didn't finish what we started last year that was that was his line at, this week at the acc kickoff he goes i you know i want to get my degree my dad wanted me to get my degree that that's a big part of it but I wanted to come back and give this program something we haven't done in a really long time. So Zay Flowers knows that even if he had gone to the NFL, I don't know what the conversations were where they were like, all right, if he if he had gone, where would he have been drafted? Would he have been drafted middle? I mean, you look at some of the guys, I thought Alec Lindstrom was going to be a fourth-round pick, and he went undrafted. So Zay coming back, Phil coming back, that makes it a lot easier knowing that the passing game is going to be there. And, and, and if Phil's healthy – 
I would put him up against any quarterback that's back in this conference from any team, including the division. You 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 put anyone up against Phil Dracovic, and he's probably one of the two or three best quarterbacks in this conference right now mm-hmm. a, when he's operating at full strength. I don't disagree with that. I don't disagree with that. And, and I think that's that's a huge deal, again, to have him back and healthy and then have his, his partner in crime, Zay Flowers, with him. Because like you said, I mean, they have great chemistry. Um, and, and those guys have made some some pretty crazy things happen in the, in the couple of years that they've been playing together. So that's a huge deal. Uh, getting Pat Garwo back as well, that, that was a guy that uh, he, he got a lot of action last year, uh, over 200 carries, over 1,000 yards, seven touchdowns. Um, he was a guy who really was able to carry the load uh, on offense for, for a lot of the season while, while Dracovic was out. Um, he is back as well, but as you mentioned, Dan, I mean, who's blocking for him? Who's protecting Phil Dracovic? That, that becomes the, the, the big question mark, I think. So we'll, we'll have to keep an eye on that. Defensively, uh, who, who's our biggest losses defensively? Uh, how, many, how many starters are we replacing here? Uh, they're replacing a few of them. Um, you know, the, the defensive line was for the most part, um, you know, for the most part, a lot of the guys are coming back that were part of that. And Marcus Valdez coming back for his graduate year, uh, Shita Salah is coming back for his senior year. Um, there are some guys in here that are, that are good that are the, the Cam Horsley's coming back defensive tackle. Um, you know, he's a, he's a junior Chibuzi. That's the guy I'm thinking of Chibuzi on Wuka. uh, booze got, got hurt last year. He's coming back as a graduate senior. Not, um, so you could play him, line up with him with cam or, or, uh, you know, in the middle, if you're going four down linemen, um, you turn around and, and they've got, you know, linebackers are pretty good. Vinny De Palma came back. Uh, you know, they, they've got other guys in there that, that are going to be pretty good. Uh, but this, the strength of this team, the bread and butter, is, is the new kind of defense that we see in, in, in football, which is you're playing five or six defensive backs and you're, and you're running all over the fields of cornerbacks and defensive backs. Your safeties are linebackers. Um, mm-hmm. I, Isaiah, um, IGM, Isaiah Graham Mobley, who is the transfer from Temple, went pro at the end of the year. And what you're saying is, okay, I want to replace that type of linebacker how do we replace that type of linebacker what we do with a safety mm-hmm. and you can replace him with a guy who is playing up the middle at Jaden Lars Woodbay Jaden Woodbay is a six foot 220 pound defensive back he, he's he's going to play safety um he can cheat up into the box you have guys like Jalen Cheek who's a redshirt freshman he can he can play all over the field he's six one Elijah Jones redshirt senior he's six foot two he can play all over the place Josh DeBerry hasn't met a wide receiver he couldn't you know, get stop bubbles from. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, these are guys, Jalen Williams and Jalen Williams. Uh, you know, you got two Jalen Williams in there. Which one? Which one's better? You have a redshirt junior and a redshirt freshman. And I that believe the redshirt. Uh, it's spelled differently, <laughs> um, but I believe the redshirt freshman was also one of the, was also on the track team last year and and like set a school record in the dash. So, mm. uh, Bug Jones is a redshirt freshman. So all of these guys are going to play. The question is, how do they attack? when you're running five or six DBs all over the place, you, you, you're going to need to stop the run on someone at some point, but you're going to do that by shutting down the passing game and having these guys who can step up into the box and make those tackles. Yep. Yep. Let's look at some of the arrivals, Dan. And I think the, the really significant one, you know, we, we talked about, uh, there was a, there was a wide receiver from Maryland, Dino Tomlin that comes in uh, region. Terry is an edge rusher out of Arizona. 
uh, he's coming in. But Dan, the, the one that you're most excited about in particular is a tight end out of Notre Dame. Uh, that that really could also be a huge addition to that offense for the Eagles. Yeah, George Tackett's, uh and, and I say I love him because why not? We love guys who come from Notre Dame to Boston College between Phil Jerkovic and John McNulty. What's not the love? I mean, uh, I'm pretty sure I could tell you where they go to church on Sunday. Yes, yes, especially in <laughs> Massachusetts. I mean, that's that's part of our that's part of our heritage, man. And Notre Dame, Boston that, College. Yeah. Exactly. I say that as I wear. My, I went to Catholic high school. I I I went to Catholic high school with an athletic director who's a Notre Dame guy. Um, I was the only person walking around the school in Boston College gear. Our fight song was the Notre Dame fight song. Colors were blue and gold. I didn't care. It was amazing. <laughs> um, but you know, though, the, he's in. Uh, he's the guy. I, I I can't wait to see him. And I know that Zay talked about him this week because you have Hunter Long accomplished with BC last year. You had um, the transfer from Jacksonville State, who name escapes me Trey because Barry. of course it does. Trey Barry. Um, I'll tell you, man, this is get old age. This is what happens to my brain. I forget everybody's name. Uh-huh. Um, but <laughs> he is, man, I'm, I'm excited for George. He's fast. He can catch the ball, he can catch the ball in space. He's, I mean, he's, he's going to be the real deal. Who's the incoming freshman we should know about? Uh, pick one. Um, <laughs> honestly, there's a, the freshman, the incoming class is going to be really fun. And, and I think the offensive line, uh, when you look at redshirt freshmen and, and true freshmen, like that's going to be, uh, I would even say like those guys are just going to be fun. Lewis Bond, if, if he gets on the field, uh, Dante Reynolds as, as wide receivers, uh, the guy, uh, Bug Jones is a defensive back. I'm I'm pretty excited to see what he can do. Um, I believe he's also a redshirt freshman. Um, let me check the full recruiting class uh, from last year, but they, from this past year from National Signing Day. But I was, I know that this was a very good class. And if you look at what BC did um, in terms of its rankings, that was something that was a really big deal, which was Boston College pulling in three, four-star guys. And, and all of a sudden they're, they're moving up the rankings. And, and, you know, I used to always say, well, Boston College gets Boston College type guys. You know, you don't need, five-star guys you don't need four-star guys that used to be my big thing like i think i've said it here like you're you're not gonna you're not gonna beat florida state in the recruiting game you're not gonna Mm -hmm. beat clemson in the recruiting game and now what i'm finding out is that it's not that you're beating them it's that you're you're getting your guys at the right time for those guys who are who are getting in so you used to get guys who were diamonds in the rough offensive lineman that you could turn into first round picks and now what they're getting is guys who aren't necessarily diamonds in the rough because they are that good coming in. And now they're three, four star guys. And when they come in, they are, uh, you know, they're this is the, this is this is the best ever class that they've had. So mm-hmm. when I say pick one and I say best ever from a ranking standpoint, this is the best ever class that Boston College has had. Um according to your rating bureau. So pick one. We'll we'll find out what these guys can do. I'm pretty excited about all of them. And one of the things that I, I we we talked about in a recent episode, we we did a little bit of a deep dive into Boston College and we we talked about how halfway especially but even just going back historically even under Adazio and such like this is a program that, you know, as much as location seems like it should be a, a pretty major hindrance like they do a really nice job of pulling out, you know, two to three pretty high-end players out of Massachusetts every year. And then they actually do a really good job of of recruiting somewhat nationally or at least regionally. You know, they they don't 
they don't just try to stick around the Northeast because that's where they are. You know, they, they do a nice job. And that's where maybe some of the, uh, the, the Catholic school thing really benefits them in, in having that identity and that, that brand. But I, I think getting out of New England ha- has done them well from a recruiting standpoint. Oh, it absolutely has. And one of the things that I, that I know they were excited about the coaches was getting back on the road for just, just getting out on the road. I remember we did a, we did an interview series and I don't remember when it was, but the, but Matt Thurn, who's the special teams coordinator asked him about getting on the road. And he was just excited to get out. He was just excited to get on the road, talk to recruits and not be recruiting them through uh through a zoom on an iPad. Like he was, he was excited to to get out and talk to people and, and go see the players and, and, and do what he had to do recruiting. And the big concern I would say kind of high level was you said, all right, they did a really good job recruiting over zoom. Mm -hmm. So everyone knows Boston. Everyone knows the campus is gorgeous. Like everyone knows it's a really good academic school. So let's, let's talk about that. Once you start bringing them to places and you're showing them facilities, but then the rankings went up and they went up into the top 25 this year. Um, they, they got guys from St. John Bosco high school out in California, which is where Jaden Woodbay went, um, Sion Hala, uh, uh, who I'm completely butchering his name is from, is a four-star guy from St. John Bosco. Um, and they're going out into those, those areas and getting guys like, you know, the DMV where they recruit really well down into Virginia, which was Azar Abdul Rahim's kind of bread and butter, which is why we were really so pumped about what happened with the military bowl last year was because they were going to be able to put on a show kind of for their new home market, so to speak, where, where they were going to be playing in DC, like that's in Annapolis, Maryland. That, that's kind of a bummer that they didn't play the game because they're able to, to, to haul in, you know, Gilbert Tongrongu, I think is his name, who is a number four defensive lineman from Virginia mm-hmm. and Quan Williams, who's from Maryland and Josh Hardy and, and guys like that. So it's, it's going to be really fun to continue watching how that grows because they they seem to have identified these really fertile grounds and said Boston College belongs there and you know it can stick the BC logo in there and it also means something because it it, it means something it still means something to play in the ACC and it still means something to have a to have a top notch education along the way. Absolutely does. Dan, you want to talk schedule? Oh, I love this part. You love this. This is part. my favorite part. I love scheduling. There is a there is a game on this schedule that is one of the games that I absolutely just cannot wait for in the ACC this year. Do you have any guesses as to which one it is? Uh, is it the Rutgers game? It is not the Rutgers game. It's a conference okay. game. It's a conference game? It's Give me Florida con- State on September 24th? It's the conference game against Clemson. Because as I understand it, that is not only the homecoming game for Boston College, that is also the red bandana game. And I am just not high enough on Clemson to think that they're just going to walk waltz right in there and just have an easy time with Boston College on that day. Like, you want to talk about a team playing with its hair on fire? I think they have every excuse to do so in that game. I I cannot wait to watch that Boston College Clemson game on October eighth. Jeff Halfley did rock the red bandana tie at kickoff this week. Also, I will not be in attendance for that game because I'm pretty sure my wife will put my head in the freezer if I do. <laughs> You'll um, be a little busy. That, yeah, I'll be a little busy that week. And that, it's funny. It's, that's it's like, of course, it's the red bandana game. It's homecoming. It's probably going to be on national television. Mm-hmm. It's probably going to be a primetime game. And I'm not going to know up from down because I'll have a second daughter keeping me occupied like two or three weeks old, probably at that point. <laughs> uh, according to the due date, it, my wife might be giving 
birth while that Clemson game's going on. Real, so real uh, busy that day. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna be really busy that day. But you know what? I actually I am I am excited for that game. I I mean it's hey red bandana game, man. I'm always excited for red bandana game. Yeah. That that'll be an exciting one. Out of conference, home against Rutgers, home against Maine at UConn, on the road against Notre Dame late in November. Uh, Dan, we talked a little bit before. I mean, UConn and Maine should pretty much be layups, and you have to win those games. This also feels like we're getting to the point in the, in the halfway tenure, and we talk about trying to improve the record. You kind of need to beat Rutgers as well. That's that's sneaky big game, isn't it? Like that's a yeah. sneaky big game, and and not only is that a sneaky big game, that's probably a sneaky big personal game for him, mm-hmm. for Jeff Halfley, because he he's so tied to having coached at Rutgers, mm. uh, with, with Greg Schiano and in those in those teams, and Rutgers has had a. I remember when BC went there, it's been a it's been a big deal. Like the Rutgers game itself is kind of a, just a big deal at being an old Big East team. Et cetera, et cetera. It's also the first game of the year, so mm-hmm. and it's at home. Like it's going to be a noon game, so like it's probably going to be hot. Like it's, I'm excited for that game. I think for a number of reasons, but you know, we we talk a lot about well, to get to eight wins, you've got to do this, and they got to get to eight wins. Look, to get to eight wins, and, and I'm a broken record. You've got to win mm-hmm. every game. What's a one week season? It's the one thing, you know. Everyone, everyone likes to say, well, Steve Adazio is this, Steve Adazio is that, and good, bad, indifferent, whatever your opinion was. He had this line that, that really opened my eyes, which was, we're 1-0 and or 0-1. Oh now, we got to get back to it. It's a one-game season. It's a series of 12 one-game seasons. And that really opened my eyes, which was, if you're looking at games in October before you're looking at games in September, you're doing yourself a disservice and you're doing your team a disservice because look what happened last year against UMass. Your entire season can go off the rails in week two. Mm-hmm. And now you're looking at a completely different situation. So the Rutgers game is probably the most important game of the season mm-hmm. because it's the first one and it's the one up first. And then after Rutgers, the most important game of the season is going to be Virginia Lane Tech. Stadium. And Lane Stadium, baby, on ACC Network with ACC kickoff. Uh, or whatever the, the 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 studio show I heard was was going there for that game, ACC College Game Day or whatever that is. <laughs> yeah, whatever the the ACC Network version is, I'm excited for that. Get those guys down there. There you Lane go. Stadium, man, be be rocking. Like you said, I mean, to start the season, Rutgers at Virginia Tech, Maine at Florida State, and then Louisville, Clemson, both at home. A bye week before you travel to Wake Forest, and then UConn home against Duke at NC State. Uh, is that on a is that on a Friday night or something like that? No, maybe not. Duke, Duke's a Friday night. Duke's a Friday night. That's what it is at home. Uh, and then at NC State, at Notre Dame, home against Syracuse to to close it out. Um, only uh, only six true home games here that I'm seeing. Um, but I, I don't see anything here that's like particularly – I mean, the back-to-back Louisville and Clemson at home – uh, is is a little bit of a tough stretch, and that's after a road trip to Florida State, of course. Lord knows what they'll be. We'll get to them at some point in this preview series. Um, yeah, at Florida State, Louisville, Clemson, all in a row. And then, I mean, at NC State, at Notre Dame in the middle of November is also a challenging stretch. But this is, this is a workable schedule, I think. If you can get the team to stay healthy, you figure something out on the offensive line and uh, and keep playing otherwise the kind of the way that they have in, to date, I I think this sets up pretty well, Dan. 
I'm really excited for this year for a number of reasons. I'm also very excited. I look, there are things that I really like on the schedule, like when you play at Connecticut. I mm-hmm. I really like going on the road to play teams like that because I think it's important to get away from your stadium as much as as it allows within a within a workable area. So like mm-hmm. if you're playing UMass, I think it's great to go to UMass. I think that was a like I said, there was something when you look at a game like that, you're like, you know, there's something about this I don't like. That uneasiness is is a good thing to have, like because it, it, it make it kind of keeps you on your toes. Um, what you hope is that the, the worst case scenario doesn't come to fruition. Uh, I'm really excited again to go to Connecticut. That you know that stadium is going to be rocking. That's a big game for UConn. The last time BC played quote at UConn, they moved the game to Fenway Park, mm. and it was no longer a true UConn home game. I mean, it was technically a UConn home game, but you were at Fenway, you were in Boston. A lot more fans than probably would have been there for for either school, but like you're going to Connecticut, that's that's kind of a a good game, and I I like the teams do stuff like that. The other game in that workable schedule, when we talk about that. Look, I'm going to say, anytime you go to Notre Dame, anytime there is a Notre Dame Boston College game, there exists the possibility that something weird is going to happen, mm-hmm. and that game is a monster. Like you want to talk about games, I don't care if what the situation is like you go back to 2015 bc gave notre dame all they could handle also at fenway park deceptively a really bad venue by the way for football with uh with when, like if you if you go back over history but then you go there and like you're in the atmosphere and you're like all right i mean it's a it's not a good venue for baseball yeah. <laughs> like it's not and when i say bad it's deceptively bad meaning it's not comfortable like you're not getting the same comfort level that you get in your home stadium but it's, when you get into that atmosphere and you're top of the field and you're sitting in that front row like rows like feet from the field and you can see like see the smoke coming out of the the guy's face mask like that atmosphere and and is um, incredible like it is it is all Northeast football and that atmosphere exists at Notre Dame stadium. Mm-hmm. So you're going to Notre Dame stadium. Like that feeling's just going to be there. It's going to linger. It's going to be intense and fighty and, and fighting. And I don't care how much Notre Dame likes to say, Oh, they're not our biggest rival. Sure. But it's going to be a, you got Notre Dame guys on the BC roster getting one more crack at Notre Dame. Like it's, it's, that's, you cannot, and it's at the end of the year. It's going to be cold. I hope it snows. Yeah. <laughs> I want to snow. Feel right, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah, and then come home, let it snow again against Syracuse. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, getting that game at home is good. I got to tell you, Dan, I mean, you tell me, in, in the past you have taken, I, I believe what our, our good friend Sean Bedford has referred to as the uh, the Herb Street privilege uh, of not – Picking, picking the games, not picking the scores, not picking the records. Uh, are you, are you going to invoke the Herb Street privilege here once again? Oh, I always pick do. a record for for Boston College. I just want to go one and zero. That's okay. where I'm starting. I want to go one and zero, and I want to go one and zero the week after, and I want to go one and zero the week after, and I and I really do mean that. And I'm not. I don't mean that like the the we I, look. I've joked with you. I've joked with Mike. I've joked with Cam many times about this, <laughs> but I really do kind of vibe that way when it's. I look. I, I would hate to show up in October. Like BC was four and zero last year. Like they were four and zero, and then finished season six and six. And you can, if you were to tell me they'd be four and zero with a win over Missouri mm-hmm. and Mizzou, and they have that win over, you know, yeah, sure, they beat up on 
on Colgate and they beat UMass pretty handily. But like when you when you and they gave some of these teams all they could handle. And but if you were to tell me they were four and oh and then they get blown out by twenty six points by NC State and they lose to Syracuse and all this other stuff, like I wouldn't have agreed with that. Mm-hmm. But at four and oh I I had visions of this team going eight and four, nine and three. Mm-hmm. But then you go two and six in the conference and, and you, you got to get through those other games. So anything can happen. And the thing I will say is that for all of its warts in the, in the history of the Atlantic division of being the playground for Clemson underneath Clemson through the years, there has been abject chaos that breaks out. And with Ke- with Clemson's regression last year, abject chaos completely broke out in the division. Mm-hmm. So I think you're going to see more of that this year, unless someone breaks out from the pack and, assures it pretty early like this is going to be a wild run and so i am not going to predict anything because look you only get one more shot to win an atlantic division title like Mm -hmm. go out and get after it i was gonna say this is your last chance last chance this is your last chance last chance to last chance to beat clemson and florida state in the same season (laughs) uh i am not gonna invoke the herb street privilege um i think i'm gonna go like eight and four here dan I think they go three and one out of conference. I think they beat Rutgers, Maine, and UConn. I think they lose at Notre Dame, and I think they can go five and three in conference. I mean, it is a a bit of a murderer's row division of sorts. I mean, I think NC State's going to be really good. I think Clemson's, you know, is what they are at this point. There's a chance that I think Louisville is is pretty good. Obviously, Wake Forest has been pretty good these these past few years, but like, I think with with a healthy Phil Dracovic and a couple of the weapons around him. I think they're going to figure something out on the offensive line. I, I think this is a team that has historically under under Halfley has been well coached and has been in games pretty far into them, even when they're underdogs. Like this is a team I think that can kind of break out and win eight games and go eight and four, five and three in conference, and uh, yeah, finish right there. You know, maybe like third in the Atlantic Division. We'll say this. I hope that whatever happens in the league, that the league gets a little more respect for, for some of its records than it, than it maybe got last year. And, and whoever, whichever team does break out, whichever team does make that run deserves, uh, deserves better than, than what Pittsburgh and Wake Forest got being outside the top 10 with, with 10, 11 wins or, mm-hmm. you know, 10, a seven and one conference record. That's my biggest pet peeve about the way people look at this league is they say, well, if Clemson goes 11 and two or 11 and one wins the league, they must be good, so let's make them fifth. Mm-hmm. And if Wake Forest does it, well, that means the league's mediocre. Yeah, no, it just means the league was had more parity. And Wake Forest went seven and one and eleven and three. Clemson still went six and two. And yeah, underneath those three teams, you had a bunch of six and six or five and seven teams. Everyone in the conf- everyone in that side of the conference, either went five and seven, six and six, whatever it was. And then over on the other side, outside of what happened with Georgia Tech and Duke last year, like. It, just because just because one team went seven and one in the conference and lost two of its non-conference games does not automatically mean that they should be outside the top ten. And so that is my that is my major argument. I mean, heck, Pitt beat Tennessee last year and and went on and 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 ran, practically ran the table in the league. Yeah, they lost to Western Michigan. That that was bad. Mm-hmm. That that was that was objectively bad and probably should have kept them out of the playoff, but. I still don't see that team being as bad as people were like, well, they're an overrated 13. No, they're, they're a good team. And the ACC deserves that respect. And 
in these days, the ACC deserves a lot more respect, I think, than than what a lot of people are willing to give it. 100% agreed. Go ACC to that. Go I, ACC, baby. Hey, Boston College going to go 8-4. and four. Give them their due. Rank those boys. That's a top 25 team it. right there. I'm for it. I, I'm for uh, I'm for whatever gets a little number next to them. I'm I'm for whatever gets them a little number next to their name, and then has to keep it there. Like I think mm-hmm. that's the that's one of the hardest things. It's not it's not that hard to get ranked. It's another thing to stay there, and then once you're in there, to keep it. And and that's my uh, and that's my you know everyone's going to say, well, they're not they're not you know the four. If you went eight and four in the in the Big Ten, it's going to be a lot different. Yeah, is it now? Well, <laughs> is it now? Mm-hmm. This team, this league's pretty good. Yeah, it's not bad. It's not, not a bad, bad. league. Uh, Dan, uh, I think that is all I have on Boston College. Is there anything egregious that I am forgetting or omitting here before we uh, work on signing off? If you get the chance to come to Boston, it's a heck of a city to visit. It is. I mean, that's that's my take it from a local. It was cool. I, I went there years ago on my, my summer baseball trip. We went to a game at Fenway, and uh, we were there over the summer, as I mentioned. And um, it is it is a really cool town. It's deceptively small and, like, walkable from, like, any part to any other part. And, yeah, I mean, it's it was a cool place to hang out for a weekend. Highly recommend it. Home, uh, home of the 2024 and ACC and NCAA Indoor Track Championships, Boston. They've built a brand-new facility up here for uh, – that was bought out. That was bought out, built up by the New Balance Company. I mean, you get the marathon route, all that good stuff. If you're a, a walk, it's a very walkable city. I, I would say don't 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 take the T if you if you can avoid it. If you Google, <laughs> if you just Google Boston MBTA, just just don't do it. <laughs> yeah, just ignore it. Like just, yeah, it's it's been a rough couple months. <laughs> Well, Dan, this has been awesome. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, you want to tell the people real quick where they can go find your stuff? Hey, at BC Dan Rubin on Twitter. BCEagles.com is the official athletics uh, website with Boston College. I think that it's a, uh, you know, it's a, it, like I always like to say, I get to tell a lot of fun stories of, of people who aren't necessarily the, the t- I mean, I get to tell all the stories of the guys with the football team or basketball team or stuff like that, but I really get to tell these down ballot stories that are, uh, that if you're, if you're looking for some solid student athletes who are, who are killing it, doing doing their thing, doing some some really special things on campus, a lot of special things in the community, and 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 you know some of these sports that don't get their due. Um, there's a lot of good stuff on there, and a lot of good stories that I always like to pump. and And I will I will be the first one to admit that the the ACC in terms of sports and the, and the competition level is completely off the hook in terms of some of these sports that don't get their due, the fencings mm-hmm. of the world and the and track and swimming and, and stuff like that. So to be able to talk to coaches and be able to talk to staff members and and the students mostly the students uh you know the commitment that they have is is incredible so if you get the chance to read some of the stuff that is is it is goes without saying they are uh there's some really special student athletes in this conference in, in at bc that i get a chance to write about absolutely absolutely well dan this has been awesome thank you so much uh once again he's at bc dan rubin on twitter he's at bceagles.com uh it is all sorts of great stuff for football and you know far beyond that so go go check him out there uh dan let's let's work on getting out of here uh again you can find him on twitter at bc dan rubin i am at ftrs joey uh mike is at mike mcdaniel si and together we're at bc podcast acc uh, you can send us an email with questions, comments, concerns, uh, a lot of those things to the longest email address known to man, basketballconferencepodcast at gmail.com. 
you can find us on iTunes. You can find us on Spotify, any place you go normally find podcasts. And uh, please make sure that you you subscribe and you rate and you uh, make sure you subscribe to us like on your parents' phones and on like your your spouse's phones and all those things. Those those help us and, and as do, again, those ratings and sharing us with your friends. We, we really appreciate those who do those things. Also, can uh, I play the role of Mike and just say that you nailed it on the on the on the email address? Thank you, Dan. Thank you. I, I wasn't sure if you if you were uh, going to drop that in there or not, but I appreciate that. I appreciate. Hey, that. someone, I, I've <laughs> Mike. I, you can't see. I'm giving you the Sammy Sosa. <laughs> Man, we need to get the band back together. Do that. We, we really do very soon. Yeah, the eight, basketball conference dads. It's <laughs> about right. Uh, Dan, I think that's all I got. Thank you so much for coming yep. on. We will uh, we'll talk to you again soon. It was a pleasure. We'll, uh, we'll we'll rock and roll again. Sounds good. All right. Well, thank you guys so much for listening. We will talk to you again soon. For Mr. Dan Rubin, I am Joey Weaver. Thank you all so much. Until next time, we are BC and go ACC. Go ACC.